what are some of the mistakes that you think you've seen in uh, Washington State's first decade and more of uh, legal adult use cannabis? We're going to start. Um, you know, for us, it took a long time. So medical was, was uh, what, 1998, I wow. believe? And that's at least what's yeah, on 25 years. Yeah, so I-692 was 1998. So um, I think right now is the closest bill we've ever gotten to with some uh, protective measures for uh, independent donor operators. Shops didn't start pulling up until 2011, though. We didn't see M you know, MMJ shops or dispensaries popping up uh, until 2011. So by the time 2016 happened and you had real regulated uh, stores, that was finally there, but that's when the fun stopped because then we had a Class C felony for home grows. So we're supposed to be opening up this opportunity for people, not only at home, but in, in, in the community to open up business, and yet we're putting felonies in place. So home grow is a felony. I'd say that's an issue. Uh, and also maintaining and operating a cannabis lounge, so you can't have a smoke uh, lounge like you can here at Nuru or whatever. And so that's really kind of limiting that opportunity until we can really see through that window of that dispensary and see how just boring it really is. I don't think we're going to really have that culture hit the mainstream. What's happening? My name's Tom, and you can find me on Canvas Legalization News on YouTube and also the Meet Unshackled podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the OG in the legal cannabis market, Washington State. We have an expert panel from Washington State. Joining us is Josh Kincaid, Caitlin, and Neil. Uh, Josh, can you first start off and introduce yourself to the audience, and we'll go down the line of the guests. Absolutely. Josh Kincaid. Uh, I'm a host of the Cannabis Business Podcast called The Talking Hedge, and then my day job is a finance manager, investment manager, uh, using artificial intelligence, machine learning to do all fully automated algorithmic trading, including pot stocks, crypto, all that good stuff. Uh, so we're here to talk about um, how Washington State is a Petri dish experiment that everyone should be looking at. Uh, and if you're not, you're probably going to lose out. So learn from our mistakes, learn from our failures. We've got um, Caitlin, who's who's excellent with uh, with legal. Well, actually, Neil's legal, but Caitlin is, is going to be talking about um, lobbyists and, and the um, cannabis association and everything that we've been doing there and everything that uh, in Washington that uh, should be learned from, especially in this environment at MJ BizCon. It's all about learning, and uh, you can't learn more than Washington State has to offer. There's a lot of Screw-ups that Neil will be more than happy to talk about, mm -hmm. a limiting co concentrates to 10%, um, you know, banning shapes and, and uh, colors for kids and, and all that good stuff that Caitlin can jump into and things that we've been trying to lobby against. So. Great. And Caitlin, go ahead. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Uh, so my name is Caitlin Ryan. I'm the executive director for the Cannabis Alliance. We're the largest industry association in Washington state. We're dedicated to the advancement of a vital, ethical, equitable, and sustainable cannabis industry, which means we do a lot of policy work on behalf of licensees. But we also um, do a lot of community outreach, focusing on things like equity and justice, sustainability. Um, we are, our roots are based in uh, patient advocacy from medical days. And so we also do a lot of that, making sure that patients aren't left behind as uh, commercialization continues to grow. There's a lot to talk about, just like Josh said, um, but we always offer ourselves out as the folks who have made all the mistakes. So uh, like you said, learn from what we can do and we can tell that story. Awesome. And I'm Neil Janaja, the managing partner at Gleam Law, a cannabis-focused law firm based out of Seattle. And we have cannabis clients in 46 states and on five continents. We do everything from intellectual property to licensure to crying when our regulators make a mistake. 
I like to sue my regulators. But, um, hey, you know, there's a lot of lawyers, it seems like, on the panel. Why don't we get into the regulation of Washington State? When did it start? How old is it? And uh, what type of licensing structure is it? Is it a dual licensing? Is it a single licensing? Yeah, go ahead. Neil, jump off. Okay. The, um, the actual recreational or adult use bill uh, was voted on in 2012, and our first stores opened in 2014 in July. Uh, we were tied for the first state to open or at least legalize it with Colorado. Um, unlike Colorado, we have a unique structure where we have no vertical integration. So we break into three primary classes, producer, processor, and retailer. You can be involved in producers and processors. Producers are the cultivators. Processors are the ones that take that from whatever raw mass you have into um, final product. And then the retailers have to be owned by a separate group. Uh, one of the weird requirements in Washington that nobody really has in any other state is we have a six-month residency requirement oh. to be on a license. Six-month residency requirement to be on a license and the lawsuit on that actually said the Dormant Commerce Clause doesn't apply because it's federally illegal. I laughed at that opinion for a while, and then I'm like, good that I don't live in Washington State. Yeah, and there have been other cases brought, but they lack standing. Ah. So we have just not had our chance uh, in the courts to really fight that. Is the, we've talked about some mistakes, or we were going to talk about mistakes. Has that been a mistake uh, to lock out uh, capital? I think we've... Go ahead, Caitlin. Go ahead, yeah, Caitlin. Um, I think in early days, I don't think it was a mistake. Uh, Washington, we enjoy, I think, a, a wide variety of brands, um, a lot of independent owner-operators, and in the early days, that allowed that to grow and flourish and uh, allowed people to have footing. But now, 10 years in, we're sort of in an interesting spot where it's clear that we need to join the rest of the nation, um, and that's going to be really painful because some people are relying on that closed that closed system in order to remain in business. And so I think our challenge right now is figuring out how do we move to allowing out-of-state ownership uh, from a harm reduction perspective? How do we allow that to come in, make sure that we can participate in this burgeoning market that is happening all around us now, um, even across state lines? And um, it's a little bit of a challenge. We have had legislation in front of the legislature for the last seven years. Um, I think right now is the closest bill we've ever gotten to with some uh, protective measures for uh, independent donor operators. Uh, I don't think in the short session it's going to go anywhere. We're probably looking at 2025 for that bill to pass. What's a short session? How does the Washington legislature meet? So we meet on a biennium schedule. Uh, so one year is the longer session, that's the budget session. We go about four and a half months. And then we're now in the second half of our biennium in Washington State, and it's about a three-month um, one. And pretty much all the bills that were um, left over from last session are active now. And so this is just sort of their opportunity to clear off their table the things that they just didn't get to, but still were a priority last session. Did they make any uh, amendments? Because cannabis laws get amended all the time. Were there any amendments with this session? For that bill, um, no, not really. Uh, it got heard in policy committee and then it, it kind of died there. Uh, everybody's just not sure, again, how to make that transition in a way that makes sense for our businesses. Hmm, interesting. Josh, what are some of the mistakes that you think you've seen in uh, Washington State's first decade and more of uh, legal adult use cannabis? Where to start? Um, you know, for us, it took a long time. So medical was, was uh, what, 1998? 
I wow. believe. And that's at least what's yeah, on 25 years. Yeah, so I-692 was 1998. So shops didn't start pulling up until 2011, though. We didn't see M, you know, MMJ shops or dispensaries popping up uh, until 2011. So by the time 2016 happened and you had real regulated uh, stores, that was finally there. But that's when the fun stopped because then we had a Class C felony for home grows. So we're supposed to be opening up this opportunity for people, not only at home, but in, in, in the community to open up business, and yet we're putting felonies in place. So home grow is a felony. I'd say that's an issue. Uh, and also maintaining and operating a cannabis lounge, so you can't have a smoke uh, lounge like you can here at New Woo or whatever. And so that's really kind of limiting that opportunity until we can really see through that window of that dispensary and see how just boring it really is, mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to really have that culture hit the mainstream. There's a lot of pushback from regulators because they think it's um, you know, scary or, or it's going to be an issue, but I think bartenders at a, at a club will be the first person to tell you, this is probably a good thing that we need to enact because cannabis users are, are a lot more chill than some of the bars that we've seen. So it'll drive revenue, it'll drive kind of um, uh, a, a, an awareness that the community thinks is um, maybe bad for the community and they'll realize that it's really just, um, it's, it's, it's just as, as easy as a library. It's as boring as, as going and reading a book and, and at the end of the day they're going to just yawn at, at how lame this dispense or this, this lounge is. So yeah, look, Biggest pushback, I think um, we need to help home grow. Uh, maybe Caitlin can, can jump into that when that might turn over. But in terms of uh, cafe, they're not quite ready for it. And so some of that bill is going to be pulled out for temporary pop-ups. So no brick and mortars for the next foreseeable future, but we will have at least have events in Washington uh, where we can consume um, on a pop-up basis. Interesting. Yeah. Ahead, yeah, Caitlin. I agree with Josh. Um, home grow is our top priority. Um, we have been working on a bill that allowed home grow, so there were lots of structures set up for how that would look. Um, we recently had a Supreme Court case called the Blake case in Washington that um, forced the legislature to have a serious debate about possession and consumption in public, not just of cannabis, but all, all illicit drugs. Um, and there they were debating a, a, which type of misdemeanor. Meanwhile, a single... Uh, personal use plant in Washington State is a Class C felony. Oh, we are wow. out of step with the rest of the nation. Illinois and New Jersey are the only other two states that have adult use and don't allow for some form of home grow. Um, and it's just ridiculous that we're putting people in prison. Our analysis is that means also people of color are five times more likely to be arrested mm. uh, for growing at home and then eight times more likely to be convicted of that felony. Um, we got to get this done. We got to stop putting people in jail for growing plant. Can the medical users grow at home? Because, like, Illinois, I have plants in my basement, but mm -hmm. I have a medical card. 
And I hope those plants are okay, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they can grow. Um, however, it wasn't until just July of this year that patients had a rest protection. So if you were growing plants at home, and it's a Class C felony, if you're not a patient, police were called usually by maybe a neighbor or something like that. They show up, they arrested patients first, and then it was up to patients to prove they're innocent after the fact. Um, well, that sounds we like just got arrest protection. That's like civil ago. law that you see in Europe or maybe yeah. Louisiana. But yeah. uh, that doesn't make any sense. No. How come the burden of proof wasn't on the other foot like it typically is in criminal settings? I think um, because we were one of the first, uh, as the policy was being written and the rules were going into place, um, we gave up a lot of things that we probably would push back on now. Um, and so we allowed things like no arrest protection and no home grow. Uh, and now, unfortunately, it's taken 10 years. Uh, I agree with Josh. Our biggest problem in Washington State is even though we're a more mature market, there is still a prohibitionist attitude amongst our legislators and our regulators. A lot of times they perceive what we are doing as criminal activity that they're tolerating, not necessarily a flourishing business that provides uh, one of the largest contributors to the state budget. Neil, can you shed some light on the licensing structure and scheme? Like how does a, a company get a license to conduct business operations in Washington State? You cannot apply for one at this time. So you need to purchase an existing license. We've had three different openings for retail licenses. The third's going on right now under social equity. Mm -hmm. uh, the producer processors, you had a single 30-day, I believe it was a 30-day period to apply. That was unlimited, and people have just been buying and selling those since that point. So you go ahead and find one, purchase it. Uh, for instance, a processor license goes for 20 to 40 grand. That's it. Um, it's prices, that one's been stable forever. Uh, producer licenses come in three classes, 4,000 square feet of canopy, 10,000 or 30,000 square feet. And those prices are down a bit. They cap out at about 100 grand. Um, so they're gonna run 20 to 100. And a retailer is anywhere from almost nothing to a couple million dollars. It just depends where it's located. Depends on that cash flow. Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Mita Unshackled, going live from MJ BizCon 2023. I wanted to thank our esteemed Washington State expert panel. We're gonna wrap it up by having each one of you say how the people can get in touch with you. So Neil, if you would start off. Uh, so Neil at Gleamlaw, you can go to gleamlaw.com, but if you can't remember that, assholeattorney.com will also <laughs> go to my website. That's hilarious. Um, uh, not nearly as fun, but the CannabisAlliance.us. Uh, you can reach out, see what we're up to. We have a happy hour every Tuesday at 4. Anybody can join on. Uh, Consumption at Home, we talk about all things weed. Cool. If you're interested in trading uh, cannabis stocks, you can go to Toro Alerts on an app for Android and iOS, or you can go to thetalkinghedge.com if you're interested in uh, Cannabis Business Podcast. Awesome. We'll be right back with more episodes of Neon Shack. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. 
We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.